The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And I'm Ken Napsok, and this is Force Center Scene by Scene. And today, thanks to a wonderful list of scenes that we put out to our Patreon supporters a while back, we are going inside Obi-Wan's hut. This one was uh, one of the popular choices. We are going into Obi-Wan's hut of exposition, Joseph. This one is going to be both fun interesting to look at it from a 1977 to 83 perspective <laughs> and a modern perspective hey before we do all that though we do want to remind you today's podcast is brought to you by audible get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash force center over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iphone android kindle or mp3 player you want to try one on us joseph we're recommending this one today that is right thrawn ascendancy colon Chaos Rising by Timothy Zahn. You can download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. If you are listening to this episode on the day of release, we are going to be talking Thrawn Ascendancy one week from today. And I'm sure we're going to be excited to get into it and make lots of interesting uh, discoveries. So if you want to be caught up with us, uh, give this book a listen on old Audible or a read with your old eyes or your your young eyes. However, you want to get this book (laughs) into your brain, go for it, because we're going to be doing the same. But for now, we're going to go into our great uh, scene by scene discussion. This has been so much fun. Uh, to to do this and to get the polls from our Patreon listeners about which uh, scenes they want to talk about. Basically, what we try to do is break down the big scenes and ask what's really going on, have some fun with the details, have some fun with the different perspectives, how they might have changed over time. As Ken was saying, this is definitely a scene that you can look at from lots of different points of view, (laughs) which makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. But so far, uh, if you're interested in past uh, scene-by-scene episodes, we've discussed Ray's Mirror Cave, uh, when Obi-Wan met Dooku, Palpatine and Anakin in the opera box of lies, and now we are going to Obi-Wan's Hut of Exposition. Uh, I decided to call it Obi-Wan's Hut of Exposition because this scene is four and a half minutes to set up the Force, the Jedi, lightsabers, the alleged backstory of Luke's father, Leia's mission, a brief overview of galactic history, and some major character and relationship building. Uh, It's really, really amazing how much is actually packed into this scene. We're going to talk about the idea of exposition. Uh, that that title is uh, kind of having some fun with it uh, because there is just a lot of information presented, but it's also a great scene about characters, about their perspectives, uh, and about uh, their motivations, their wants, their needs, their dreams, their fears, all those things. So let's dive into it. Ken, when you were young and when you rewatched Star Wars on VHS a thousand mm-hmm. times, all those times before the prequels came along, did you like this scene? Did you look forward to it? Was this a big scene for you? And if so, why? What grabbed you? I, I love this scene. But this scene does exactly what George has described it as. It's the first time you slow down. It's the first time in this whiz-bang adventure. You and I love that phrase. It, the movie slows down and starts to really give you some solid information. So as a kid, there was a little bit of, yeah, 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 yeah. But I used to love it, and there's comfort in the scene. And I really, I, I'm so glad you started here 
because in watching it today and, and this weekend on Disney Plus and on my big screen TV and I could see the details and Alec Guinness's beard more than I uh, ever really <laughs> could and, and watching with headphones to really hearing the constant like alien space sounds behind Obi-Wan. His HUD is worrying, right? He's brewing <laughs> a cup of space coffee. All that, what I connected to was the feeling of nostalgia, but also the feeling of, 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 of just kind of the comfort that Obi-Wan provides in this story as a kid. And I did think of my VHS copy, not the one in the packaging that was purchased as part of a three set, but the one taped off of TV. Mm. This Obi-Wan is comfort when he shows up he's safety that's what you're supposed to feel because that's why his loss later on means even more uh and if you're a young kid you you're like he is grandfatherly he is the old wizards are in all these stories when he shows up in this wild crazy world with tuscan raiders all these things and and he takes you to the hut i always <laughs> felt safe so even though sometimes as an eight or nine ten year old i'd be like yeah 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 let's get to the chase let's get to the x-wings i always found solace in this thing Oh, wow. That's great. You felt the absolute warmth and comfort of pan and scan hut of Obi-Wan, the uh, nice uh, grandfatherly figure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That is amazing. Uh, Yeah. I was really thinking about I've always loved this scene, but it is amazing to me how much it has uh, flipped, not only from it exists, uh, you know, as it was written uh back in the 70s as it was interpreted as you said uh before the prequels and then there's a big change uh when the prequels come out which we're going to talk about but for me in, in my life of existing before the prequels uh i really did gravitate to this scene from luke's perspective uh mm-hmm. now i have a hard time not watching it from obi-wan's perspective uh because of the I prequels did. and because of age but when i was a kid you know i identified with luke Luke is pining for adventure. He's fighting with his parents uh, because he wants adventure. Uh, and then he's handed adventure, R2 escapes, and he's got to go uh, chase him down. He gets attacked <laughs> by Tusken Raiders. And wow, adventure is scary. Uh, but then in this scene, not only is there that that uh, pan and scan comfort, <laughs> the grandfatherly pan and scan comfort as you're talking about, but Luke is being handed adventure on a silver platter. Your dad was an adventurer. In fact, here's his cool old weapon. You need to go help me save the galaxy and help this princess. You, I, I, in a, a warm, caring authority figure, am telling you, you absolutely should drop everything. And you know that horizon you were staring at earlier? You got to head right to it. Come with me now. From my perspective as Luke, this scene was so powerful because I really wanted an obi-wan to come along and go here's your awesome ancient family weapon and you should leave everything behind uh homework concerned about your family life screw it let's go (laughs) let's do it leave it all behind leave it all behind and obviously there are more complications with that how uh, luke ends up uh, leaving it behind and uh definitely uh, never wanted uh my immediate family to uh be burned into skeletons that's not what i'm saying at all uh but in this scene that thrill of that thing that you wanted here's this kind authority figure mentor saying yeah you are meant for it and you should go right now is super powerful to me as a kid yeah it, this is 
I very happy that you've decided to to t- title this the the hut of exposition because I think it's there's a lot to discuss in that. But this is this is also to me kind of the literal call to action, right? This is literally the hero's journey is taking that cool pack up your bags as he said, uh, and there's so much. There's just so much. What did you say? Four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and it just it lays out so much that you need to know about the galaxy, about the myth of uh, of Star Wars and the myth of the Skywalker saga, all just packed into here. And it it is really amazing in terms of exposition, but also yeah, the uh, the storytelling of who they are, what they want, why. And you're right, this is uh, the hero's journey stuff in different uh, Star Wars movies. There there are elements of it all throughout, but there's a lot in A New Hope, and then largely an original trilogy that is just kind of very directly the Joseph Gamble version mm-hmm. of the, the hero's journey. And, you know, this scene is Luke refusing to call, which is really fascinating as well. And we'll, we'll get into all the details of that as we dive into the details. Let's talk now about kind of our next phase in life of experiencing this scene after the prequels have come out. And now we've all got to see some of the things that Obi-Wan is talking about. Did you enjoy this scene more or did you struggle with it after seeing the prequels? Like everyone, there was a lot of, hey, wait a minute questions that I had. But I always go to this, uh, particularly, you know, after Revenge of the Sith, we've been living with the prequels for a few years now and and the ups and downs of that. All right, this scene comes along and a lot of things we, we've been waiting for get paid off the the bat, battle with lava and all these kind of things you read about but obviously even going back to phantom menace tactic clones there might be some things that cause you to go hey wait a minute back in the hut i gotta <laughs> tell you joseph i never felt that during the movies you know where that came in that came in with the discussions afterwards which by by the way are fun and part of being a star wars fan part of why we have podcasts why there's so you know popular star wars podcasts it's a good trade to get into kids you know that comes out of those conversations you had in the break room uh, for me or on the playground. If, if you saw the prequels in that era and, and had been familiar, familiar with the original trilogy, you could sort of line up. I don't think, hey, wait a minute, questions are bad. I don't think you shouldn't follow those thoughts and those threads and see where it takes you. Because I think when you dig in, you start really actually finding out. I think George, um, at one point in this episode, I might pull out that I took a, a photo of actually something uh, uh, George says to Paul Duncan in the in the Star Wars Archives book that, that addresses the scene in Obi-Wan and what he knows in the scene or what he doesn't know, and which is came after the prequels, uh, the George's quote. So anyways, to answer your overall question, no, I, I, I never struggled with it other than I love diving in. And that's that's that of all the, the prequel era stuff where I did have a this and that, it was weird that I didn't gravitate to the negative side of this scene or, or conversations about this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all, all really interesting. And I can't wait to hear uh, the quote you pulled because we were definitely going to talk. Uh, that's, I think, one of the things that makes this scene fascinating. I think it made it fascinating in uh, 77 when it was just implied and even more fascinating after the prequels of exactly what is Obi-Wan thinking? What is he deciding when? All those kinds of uh, ideas. And yeah, for me, I loved this scene my entire life and I love it even more after the prequels, like uh, a, a lot more, because now I do experience it from Obi-Wan's eyes, which is a, a part of me kind of bonding with the character of Obi-Wan in The Phantom Menace and the prequels, and also just getting, uh, as I get uh, older and older, as happens to everybody, damn it, um, that 
I'm probably more likely to be in the the position of the mentor <laughs> yeah. trying to decide exactly how one wants to say something uh, than the uh, super young, bright-eyed, uh, naive person being given the mission. Although I am open to that if people have an, a mission to me and wanted yeah. uh, to see me as young and bright-eyed. Um, <laughs> but I think I think part of it is it 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 is not just the real technical what is he referring to does it line up for me it's just emotionally powerful because yeah. as we'll talk about i think obi-wan is thinking about yeah what exactly do i tell luke what is this moment in the force but i just believe alec guinness's performance i feel the weight and the sadness of and a good friend right um mm -hmm. that i think there's some true sadness that was always there in the performance but now becomes different, uh, maybe richer, because we've actually lived through that. There's all of those various YouTube mashups of yeah. of Obi-Wan's speeches and then cutting to moments that are relevant. And sometimes they're poking fun and other times they're really lining up of there, there's a moment where Anakin is an amazing star pilot. There's a moment where he's a cunning warrior. There's a moment where he's a good friend. Uh, and those uh, moments flash, uh, flash to me. And when I watch A New Hope, I have seen it so many, many times, and it, you know, starts a little bit slower than some of the other films of following uh, 3PO and R2's adventures. Even in moments where I'm like, yeah, it's nice to be watching A New Hope again. I'm enjoying this. This is the scene where I just light up, like mm -hmm. just a million uh, Christmas lights in my soul. I get excited about this scene always. Mm. Yeah, there's so much there. Uh, this, this might come up again, and I 100% I said this before. But Sir Alec Guinness, a legendary actor for a reason, he just has those those moments where, like any good actor, researching the role, getting ready for the role. You know, from from your time years in theater, Joseph, directing actors on theater, an actor yourself. If you're doing your job, each line means something, and the story is there in your head, even though it might not be what uh, you know Pablo Hidalgo writes down in a book, uh, uh, an encyclopedia or a dictionary or something like that. Um, you have something there. And so because of that, Alec Guinness is so good at it. You have movies between his pauses, <laughs> you know? Yeah. His are referring to stories we haven't even heard yet, I think. And, and, and I, I keep going back to that now. That's me watching it now and, and loving what's there. Yeah, absolutely. And in his great uh, acting choices to like, I'm going to assume that for some reason this is a delicate conversation or maybe I'm not telling him the full truth. So I'm kind of kind of play that uh, has left it open to a great interpretation and great uh, sort of backfilling from actual events in the prequels, which we will discuss. But uh, let's uh, move into the scene itself. Uh, previously to this scene, obviously, Luke is a young farm boy. He's frustrated with his life and dreaming of adventure. He has to go out looking for his troublesome new droid R2. Uh, he gets attacked and rescued by Obi-Wan. Hey, yay, adventure, uh, fun, scary. Obi-Wan Kenobi, of course, is a venerable Jedi Knight who has been watching over Luke, the son of his fallen friend Anakin Skywalker, and waiting for this moment, this conversation, for 19 years. Uh, that's uh, been my interpretation of it, uh, that, that Kenobi has been waiting for this. Do you agree with that interpretation, Ken? Does that quote you have from Lucas <laughs> agree with that interpretation, that Kenobi's yeah, been yeah, waiting for this? I'm, I'm waiting for the right time to pull this out because as often sometimes when you're having Star Wars discussions and then you go to George, you're kind of like, 
all right, well, yep, George answered that. Let's go get a sandwich. Um, <laughs> but, but yes, it is, it is in that theme and it's part of the conversation because Paul, Paul Duncan, the writer of that great book, is, is, is talking about it. And he puts out the idea, um, to, to frame this, he puts out the idea that, uh, you know, the accident, Luke discovering the message is kind of an accident. Maybe it wasn't meant to be. And then if he never discovers it and R2 and 3PO go straight to Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan packs up and leaves the planet, right? Which is one of those what if or hey, wait a minute conversations we've probably all had. And George is basically saying, uh, no, 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 no. This was, he would have gone and got him because this was the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, we can get into more of that later. So I, yeah, no 100%. They've interacted before. They've, uh, you know, little, I'd love to see the scenes of Luke getting into a fight at uh, the schoolyard or coming home from school and, weird uh, a weird f- guy saves him you know and it's obi-wan in a in a robe or something weird um but this is it this is the moment this is the purpose this is why he's waiting this is why he fights maul at the at the campsite and defends luke this is everything and it all builds to this yeah yeah well, that's a great quote uh from lucas and and i really like it and uh my interpretation of the scene uh, you know what hey it agrees with the creator so that's great I, that's always that's always a nice feeling uh, it is a text and you can decide what what you want and you can also hear what the creator thinks i think those are both valid ways to looking at things but yeah i love that there's a to me there's a practical element of it we've seen it in some of the uh star wars comics uh and some of the uh implied in some book stuff uh or discussed in some of those from a certain point of view stories that there's a practical element of Obi-Wan's like, okay, he's getting older. I'd like to be involved in his life. I'd like to train him. And Owen saying, no, get the hell out of here. And I love what that does to Obi-Wan's, uh, um, to Obi-Wan of like, I, I want to be doing this. I, I think the galaxy needs this, but Hey, you know what? On the other hand, I stubbornly insisted on personally training Anakin and uh, maybe that didn't work out. So maybe mm-hmm. I, Maybe I should sit back and question myself. Uh, but there's this practical element of Owen really was saying, no, get out of here. Uh, and then I think there is this more philosophical side of it uh, that I think Obi-Wan and Yoda in, in these intervening years do uh, come to recognize some of the ways that they failed, that they really the big picture one that they, you know, uh, they they had the lure of the Clone Wars dangled and they thought that they could, you know, participate in it, get to the bottom of it, defend innocent people and find that Sith Lord and shut down the war. And that is it. And then they realized that by participating in the war, they uh, just corroded the Jedi and just advanced uh, all of the conflict in the, the death and the pain and the dark side in the galaxy. So I think they both have this like, let's sit back we know what we want. We know what the eventual destiny is. Luke and probably Leia are eventually going to have to deal with their lineage of who they are and their inherent power. Uh, And, but we are not going to rush in. We're going to wait until the force is telling us. And that's the way I've always interpreted this scene of like, Oh, Hey, wow. uh, Luke came to me. Mm. He's in trouble and he and he, you know, I needed to go rescue him and he is uh, getting old enough to make his own decisions. And Owen is around to say no. Uh, and oh, damn, his sister was coming here. This is the will of the force. Everything is coming together. This is the moment where I need to act. Exactly. Now is the time. <laughs> now is the time. All right. So now we are going to get into analyzing the scene itself. Now that we talked about our some of our interpretations going in. 
So the scene starts in a really fascinating way. It starts mid-conversation. Luke is uh, working on repairing 3PO's arm, and he says, no, my father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. Uh, Ken, uh, what question is he saying no to? What was uh, going on in this conversation right before we jump in? I think they're catching up, uh, this and that, and I think Obi-Wan's kind of like, oh, did you you ever, did Owen ever tell you about your dad? You know, (laughs) he he was... uh, he was a really good, uh, he was a, he was a warrior. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. fighting the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. Trivia question, trivia answers there. Yeah, I, I, I think Obi-Wan's, he believes in the force. He knows the force is here to guide him, but he's also just got to kind of get the conversation going. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that I think, you know, Obi-Wan is saying that, like, we talk about the idea of destiny of like, eventually this moment that you can't avoid will come and then you have to choose how you're going to act. And I think he is choosing to act. But I do like that it isn't like, oh, Obi-Wan saw all these, you know, read the tea leaves of the force, as it were, and he, you know, marches into, uh, you know, the homestead. I like that this is real practical, like it. Luke wants to get home, right? But he needs to repair 3PO. So Obi-Wan's like, hey, look, come back here. I'll make you some tea or some stew or whatever's cooking. Yeah. <laughs> and you repair the droid. And while we're sitting here, like, wow, looks like you're good with droids. Uh, your dad was really good. You know, I saw, you know how many droids I saw him fix during the Clone Wars? <laughs> and just just starts the conversation. Let's just let's just talk about your dad and see where this goes. Uh, that That's the vibe that I think we both get. Even though... Uh, Obi-Wan wasn't in uh, Shmi's house uh, seeing, uh, you know, 3PO in that setting. Qui-Gon probably said something like, he built that droid. He repaired oh, yeah. it. yeah. Took it and repaired it, made it something. And, and so you got to think Obi-Wan now, as we know, looking back on the entire story, is like, son of a, look at that. He is, he is good with 3PO, just like his dad. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's start there. Yeah, I mean, talk about the will of the force. It's like, not yeah. only is Luke here, he's with the da- those damn droids, and now his sister. Damn. Yeah. Uh, so we move on to uh, Obi-Wan says, that's what your uncle told you. He didn't hold with your father's ideals, thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. And now a question we'll be asking a lot. How does this right away here line up with the prequels for you? Look, I have no doubt. As presented in 1977, there were some, you know, and again, 77, not 80, where the story does take a, a change. It does take a turn. I, I think it is the old style conversation, uh, you know, don't join the war type of thing. But I, I think this lines up with things we don't see in Attack of the Clones uh, mm-hmm. in that era. Uh, this, I, I, you know, especially... Um, I don't know, maybe at, at, even even maybe even at the graveside of, of Shmi. I don't know. I mean, give him some room, Owen. Uh, Anakin's going through some stuff. But yeah, I, I got to wonder if there's a, why don't you stay here? Why don't you stay here? Um, you know, the war isn't here yet, but we're your family now. Um, stick around. Don't go do this. Um, especially after, you know, what you're dealing with, with, with your mother. So I don't know. I, I've always thought of... It's it's uh, somewhere in that sequence that era era of the story. Interesting, yeah, um, yeah. You're right. There's the uh, there's obviously, uh, and we won't say it every time because I think it it's obvious. There is the interpretation in seventy seven. There's the interpretation yes. in eighty eighty three, uh, and and we're taking for the most part a big picture with all the canon that exists now. Can perspective. Nineteen eighty seven. After I <laughs> a card game or two. No. Yeah, and that's a different because it's pan and scan, and there was some of Obi Wan's belongings you didn't see because yeah. they were off. Off screen. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I really, uh, I think the the importance in the original, just the scene is really already laying this groundwork of there's a big world out there. I know you feel a pull to it, but you've got this anchor who really believes in not getting involved in things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's even judgment in the way that Alec Guinness is, is delivering that I think of not gotten involved. Like, you know, he's encountered a lot of people like, uh, like Owen, right. Of, of mm-hmm. like that, but I know there are problems. It's not my problem. Just, you know, keep your head down and, and do your stuff. And, you know, I think Obi-Wan knows that's not, that doesn't always work. And it certainly isn't going to work for, uh, Luke because destiny is going to come calling for him. But for the, for the prequels, this line always feels to me like this is about Anakin leaving Tatooine at all in the Phantom Menace. Mm. Because, you know, th- he didn't hold it through father's ideals, thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. You can absolutely go to uh, uh, attack the clones. But that idea of like, he was here with his mom. Uh, my, you know, my dad met Shmi not that long after. He freed her. Anakin would have been freed. He would have had this great life on the farm. You know, we would have been brothers. He and his mom would have been together. Maybe what happened to his mom wouldn't have happened to him if uh, happened to her if he had just not gotten involved in his big fantasy of being a Jedi hero and just stayed here and took care of his own. Uh, I've always kind of taken it from that perspective that it's about this idea of Owen's baggage about Anakin leaving Shmi behind. I think you could squish them together quite well, too. If you're around that, if Owen's really saying this to his face, you know, you know, I, I know it's not the time to say it, Anakin. I, I got, but I just got to say, <laughs> if you heard your mother, you know, this might not have happened if you hadn't wanted to be a Jedi. Yeah. Weirdo. Or even just, story. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And we're, we're, there's a, another specific line. So we'll revisit this conversation. But but I also think that this can be coming from, you know, fights that uh, Obi-Wan and Owen have had since Luke has been there of like, hey, uh, yeah, no, I understand his father's out, out in the galaxy doing not great things. You know why that happened? Because you and your Jedi pal came to Tatooine, filled his head with nonsense. You took him away and look what happened to him. Look, great job saving the galaxy. And like, Mm. Th- that kind of thing from Owen to Obi Wan. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I, I I don't mean to cut you off at all. Um, I, you just got me excited for a potential conversation between Joel Edgerton and you and McGregor in a, in a Kenobi series. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Could we see this discussion? You know, Obi Wan Ben, he should not have gotten involved. Oh, you don't hold his ideals. No, I don't. He should have no. stayed here. Yeah, he should have stayed in, in, you know, if he's so powerful, he could have kept his mom safe. Uh, he could have kept my dad safe instead of, you know, running off to play hero. And it didn't work out at all. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm now hiding his son. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, we're going to move on because we're going to be able to revisit this because uh, this is a point of conversation that Obi-Wan is not going to let go in these four and a half minutes. Uh, so Luke, uh, responds, his eyes are sparkling like in an old, uh, Hollywood cinematography style. Uh, and he asks, you fought in the Clone Wars? Uh, Obi-Wan responds, yes, I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. And he leans back. Uh, do you feel like Obi-Wan is trying to draw something out of Luke here? Look, he's, he's really good at some subtle manipulation. Make, you know, uh, yes, I give, I give old Ben some credit here for uh, <laughs> leading the conversation. First of all, I absolutely love that you pointed out the sparkling eyes. Um, 
if, if you all listening haven't really focused on that, do yourself a favor. Really watch for it in the beginning in this moment. Luke, is, his eyes are twinkling. It, old Hollywood indeed, but twinkling is a youthful hero to be looking out into the stars. It's, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's there. It's present. I hadn't really focused on that before. Uh, yeah. So to answer your question, yeah, that lean back is great, isn't it? I think absolutely. He, this, this has to be Luke's decision all the way around. So Luke has to kind of lead the conversation, even though Obi-Wan's driving it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. For the, the sparkling eyes, it's always fascinating because it is clearly a little bit of a push and pull. Uh, I've read a little bit about in the cinematography where Luke has had some ideas of like, I kind of want it shot a little documentary style. So it feels like uh, you, you really invest in the reality of these bizarre alien worlds. But at the same time, I want to kind of lean into the fantasy and I want a little bit of that uh, gauze and glamour of old Hollywood. And it's always fascinating to see which moments feel a little bit more documentary in which have some of those literal old Hollywood techniques like that. Uh, and this mm. moment works really well because it is uh, like the adventure uh, sparkling in, in his eyes of like, you fought in the Clone Wars? Like he's so yeah. into it. Um, yeah. And I think, I think Obi-Wan is honest in his own emotions always uh, where it is. A, there's a little bit of like sadness and maybe even a little bit of uh, bitterness of, yes, I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father and leans back and it is it's honest but it is also saying like yeah i know i just said like the first sentence of a whole amazing story <laughs> so uh i'll just lean back and see if you ask about the rest of the story <laughs> which luke yeah. does he does, uh, he does. yeah he's got him he's got him uh so luke uh gets uh pensive and says i wish i'd known him and obi-wan responded responds he was the best star pilot in the galaxy and a cunning warrior then adds, I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. Luke shrugs as if to say, aw shucks. <laughs> and Obi-Wan concludes, Andy was a good friend. So there's a lot going on there. I got some specific questions, but is there anything in that that little chunk that you wanted to specifically react to? I think it's I think it's following just tracing Obi-Wan's way through this conversation in story. It's just he's I mean, I, it sounds like I'm cynical, like this is how you win a conversation, you know, the art of the art of war talking or whatever, some weird book you can buy online. No, he's doing a great job of just like, look, he was the best. He was great. You're just like him. And he was a good friend, man. He meant a lot. And and I'm here out of that. I'm here. That's the reason I've been around you. I get it. I'm here to help you. You know, it's just it's it's just he's moving chess pieces in a play. Um, and, I, and I don't mean that cynically, but just like. Again, because I really believe in this destiny is is your choices. So you just got to keep drawing Luke in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he is trying as much as possible to uh, open the door and hopefully have Luke walk through. And in this moment, he does. Of I wish I'd known him, which, you know, I assume that Obi-Wan knows that Luke knows very little about his father. But it, but Obi-Wan could be a little unclear of like how much has Owen uh, and Brew not told him or how many things have they fabricated like the navigator on a spice freighter. Uh, and again, I, I am aware that Twilight on Clone Wars is a spice freighter and that's fun too. But, uh, but in general, uh, not, not super, uh, not super true. Um, so I feel like he, he keeps opening that door, asking Luke to walk through. Luke does and confirms like, I wish I'd known him. And I, again, I think Obi-Wan is being really honest. He's having, he's, saying hey your dad was amazing and in fact you are showing signs of being amazing in the exact same way the the way obi-wan delivers and he was a good friend 
is all really, really honest. I think we're seeing his honest emotions about Anakin, which is what make the makes those YouTube videos of cutting back and forth between this monologue mm-hmm. and their adventures in the prequels actually emotionally affecting because Obi-Wan is being uh, sincere in it. And I think it's fascinating to think this is just a huge amount of new information to Luke that your dad wasn't some boring farmer navigator. He was a, a Jedi, whatever that is, <laughs> mm. uh, and a star pilot like you and a good friend. It, your dad was this exciting, noble, awesome person. How do you think that information affects Luke? If he's been thinking, my dad was like a good man who just went about his business and he had a job on a spice freighter. He wasn't even, you know, the pilot. <laughs> yeah. He's just a navigator. But no, he's all these things I feel and all these things I dream of, all these things I'm good at. He was too. It's interesting to really look at this conversation as Luke in this moment realizing he's been lied to his entire life and whether he's ready to face that or not, just on that that small level with his aunt and uncle or who he calls aunt and uncle. You know what I mean? Like that's essentially what Obi-Wan's just told him. No, 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 no. They're, they've, they've lied to you. They've made up stories. And do you believe, do you believe Ben in that moment? He's probably got a lot more trust mileage with Owen and Baru, particularly Baru, who's the softer of the two, obviously. So that's, that's pretty big. And how does it, how does it affect Luke? I, I just, it's played a little low key, but I, I would, I got to think he's just like, nah, that's not, that's not, nah, I don't know about that. I don't know about all that, Ben. Yeah. You think that he's, that he's uh, not all on board right away? I think he wants to be, uh, this is the, that call to adventure becomes, becomes it. But I think to me, it will just, I think this kind of can come, come into play a little bit. Just, just try to, trying to deal with the reality of it. You know, like it's so much his, wow, I might've been lied to the way he deals with that. It's just going, whatever, I got to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. Right now it feels like really cool information and kind of like, what? Wow. But it's not transferring yet what it means to him. You know, this is also fascinating to me because, you know, the sequel trilogy to me, I think, is wrestling with nostalgia. uh, But this idea that even in A New Hope, when it's brand shiny new and it's not even called A New Hope, it's just Star Wars in 1977. That's kind of what's at stake is is Obi-Wan is trying to say, hey, look, there's this past, this rosy, possibly dangerous, possibly exciting past. And it affects you. And it's not quite there yet that it affects Luke. Yeah, not quite there, but I, I think it, it, it connects to something in his soul, the, the the craving for adventure, the staring off in the twin suns. It, you know, it gets a little bit a little bit excited as as we'll see here, but I think yeah, that's that uh, you know, that factors into his where he ends up in this conversation. Yeah. Uh so then Obi-Wan seems to remember something and he says, "Which reminds me, I have something here for you." He crosses past R2 who beeps at him. Uh, having fun with all of the new prequel knowledge. Shall we guess what R2 is beeping at Obi-Wan in this moment? Get on with it. <laughs> Get on with it. All right. We've got mission going on. You know what's happening. You've been waiting for this. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's fascinating because in the con, really watching the scene where R2 beeps in the context of the scene, you know, back in the day, it feels like R2 is like, Hey, I'm on a mission. Obi-Wan, I got a message. Obi-Wan, let me play the message. So it could just be that. Or with our new prequel knowledge, it really could be, uh, you know, 
the dime dropping for R2, uh, you know, obviously R2 would know who Obi-Wan is. Uh, R2 mm-hmm. would maybe uh, hear Skywalker and go, hey, wait. Uh, mm-hmm. But is this the moment where the dime is really dropping for R2 and like, because uh, R2 isn't like actually like peeking over the uh, the corner of the hill on Mustafar when yeah. Anakin gets chopped up. You know, he's not in the the uh, surgery when uh, he when Anakin gets put in the armor. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. fun to imagine to see beeping going like, wait a minute, uh, what happened to Anakin? <laughs> is, you know, yeah. I I know who you are, Obi Wan, but what what is the deal? Uh, I never actually did see what happened to my best friend Anakin. That's an excellent point. Uh, the idea that R2 in this moment's like, wait a second. <laughs> I could give uh, that's even that's better than to get on with it. That is uh, that in this particular moment. I think I think that from the previous scene, we already got some like, I don't recall ever owning a droid. What are you talking about? So there's already some tension between them. Plus, yeah. R2 probably like, I've heard some of the stuff you said about droids, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, we we can think. So you are doomed. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but that being kind of a little bit of a, oh wait, that's I've I know that lightsaber, beep, beep, bop, bop, boom. Yeah, I I I love how much this is always going to be a little bit of a mystery of like exactly what does R two D two know when we can kind of you know go by frames, we can go by canon, we can go by you know uh, lots of different things of uh, how much how much does he truly know, how much does he truly understand, and what's he's beeping is always a fun conversation. What's uh, he? Beeping? What is he beeping? We'll do that. We'll do the whole R2 what's he beeping uh, <laughs> episode. <laughs> uh, so Obi-Wan opens that wonderful little chest and uh, continues, your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He pulls out the hilt and continues, he feared you might fo- follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. All right. Here's the that next quote where we can follow up on the prequel match as well as uh, everything else that's uh, important in this moment. Um, for me, I'll just jump in there. This seems like an explicit Attack of the Clones prequel match to me. Of mm-hmm. It is in that moment where they are at uh, Shmi's funeral, Shmi's grave, R2 and uh, 3PO uh, interrupt and say, hey, you've got this message. It is uh, it's specifically Obi-Wan. Uh, that there's a message from Obi Wan, and uh, and then Anakin, you know, takes three PO <laughs> and leaves. Uh, so Anakin is literally following Obi Wan off on some idealistic crusade in that moment where it might be to Owen, hey, you had another chance to have, from my perspective, a better life, a safer life, but you went off following Obi Wan, and look what look what horrible thing happened to you in the galaxy because of it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. How do, yeah. How do you feel about that? I love that. I think that's great. Uh, I absolutely think that's great. You're really breaking down that scene, uh, which uh, trivia wise can be confusing on who beeps or talks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, literally in that moment of following. Um, yeah. It, the, the, the lightsaber part, what we'll talk about here. I, but I just think that's a straight out lie from Obi-Wan. Oh yeah. Let's get into that. Uh, your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. I'm going to say your uncle wouldn't allow it is entirely true. Yes. Your father wanted you to have this when you're old enough, I think, is Obi-Wan saying, if your father hadn't fallen to the dark side <laughs> and lived, he would have wanted you to have this. <laughs> yes, and this is, this is a big, hey, what a, hey, wait a minute. Totally get that. And, you know, there's part of me that wishes in Revenge of the Sith on Mustafar that 
Annika would have yelled, I hate you. Could you give that to my kid? Right. Uh, I know. I mean, I did a, a sketch at a convention that summer uh, mm-hmm. with that great joke that I hate you is translated to. Could yeah. you please give this to my son when he's old enough? You know, and maybe it is. Maybe it is. But yeah. So but yeah, look, Obi-Wan collection of have truths. Right. So emotionally, I think there's it's an easy it's an easy uh, connection. How how would you feel if he had said your father would have wanted you to have this when you were old enough? As though he knew your father well, well enough to make a guess on what his uh, wishes for his son would have been had he not died. Would that change it to you? Would that feel more honest? If he say say it again, phrase it again. I really want to d- drill down the details. Fra- phrase it again. If he said your father would have wanted you to have this. Mm-hmm meaning he didn't live long enough to actually make this wish. But I, his great friend, know that's what Anakin would have wanted. So I, I like that. Maybe I like it for the just the fun of Star Wars conversations. But I think for Obi-Wan, I think he's really got to drill down on the connection. Yeah. And leave no room. Not that Luke would have been like, oh, but did he want me to have it? Or you... <laughs> But I think Obi-Wan's got to choose the the stronger, more stringent language here. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is one of those, hey, when it was written in film back in the day, it's mm. probably a slightly different uh, you know, timeline in Lucas's mind. Hadn't fully been decided yet. Uh, maybe that there's a possibility that uh, Anakin could have expressed this uh, before he uh, died and or fell to becoming Darth Vader. But in the context of the entire text that we have now, yep, it is definitely uh, Obi-Wan putting his foot on the gas of like, I really want you to connect uh, with your lineage from your father. And in fact, here's an item that directly connects you. And uh, in, in my opinion, is Obi-Wan, I think your father would have wanted you to have it. So eh, it's half truth. Yeah. Uh, we move on. So 3PO interjects. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Luke says, sure, go ahead. Uh, I know that there are, you know, stories of the behind the scenes reasons that this happens, uh, but does it add to the romance of this scene that 3PO is not piping up asking questions that the lightsaber doesn't come on and he's like, ah, (laughs) I I had never thought of it that specifically as a, oh my, put that away. (laughs) Uh, Yes. No, I think behind the scenes, uh, you know, whatever it was with Anthony Daniels and the costume, whatever it was. Yeah. of the legends of the story but i just think even even on a level of george just going let's get the let's get the droid out let's get the the anxiety ridden droid out of the way (laughs) yeah Um, let's uh not have that uh anxiety during this incredibly important uh part of this star wars storytelling and and no one's going to question uh i i don't even necessarily question it now but no one's going to question it in this uh, sci-fi fantasy world oh the the robots just shut themselves off to sleep got it (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You got to let it cool, right? The robots Mm. overheat. Does it bother you that 3PO never offers to shut down again? And in fact, we have much uh, discussion and actions about shutting 3PO down because he never personally offers it again. I think I love it because I love that uh, it probably drives Han and maybe even occasionally Leia crazy that, that, uh, you know, Luke said you used to shut yourself down. (laughs) Can you do that? No, I will not do that. Bless it. Yep. So I, I, yeah. I drives Han a little bit more mad. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is one of those things that I just, I, I, I love marveling at uh, a, a New Hope. Star Wars is, you know, made, uh, you know, on the fly 
Luke is trying his best to make it uh, all come together. It holds together remarkably well, but there's these moments like this, ideas that aren't aren't really revisited. And, you know, we watch uh, 3PO power down and his lights go off like he is a large MacBook Pro. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of great. Uh, so then we get back to, we go right from, should the robot shut down? A quick interjection, back to the absolute depth of the myth of the cool of Star Wars. Obi-Wan presents the hilt. Luke asks, what is it? R2 then interjects a few beeps quickly. Then Obi-Wan says, your father's lightsaber. So this exchange that many of us have memorized deep in our core, what is it? Your father's lightsaber. Super important, super mythic. But if you actually watch it, R2 interjects in (laughs) either answers or says something entirely different in between before Obi-Wan actually answers. Yeah, he says, is that a bleeping lightsaber? <laughs> is that Anakin's lightsaber? Yeah. Uh, do you like the idea that he's still just going like, hey, 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 remember, I have a message. Or do you like that he's getting excited about the lightsaber? Uh, I I think in in a lot of different, um, however you want to look at the scene and whatever year you're looking at, a lot of it works. So Grumpy R2, uh, I, quite frankly, Grumpy R2 works in 77 in the theater, too. He starts the movie cussing out 3PS. So I, I totally can buy him just being like, give the kid the weapon. Uh, but I love the subtext of him, just what you said, just like, holy, oh, my God, is that Anakin's lightsaber? God, I haven't seen that in a while. Uh, like, I know that. Out, I know that. Yeah, pull out a, a box of matchbox cars in front of me. Oh, look at that. <laughs> um, so I think there's a little of that, too, there. Um, but Grumpy R2, I'm always going to go in the direction of Grumpy R2. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's absolutely uh, wonderful to think about R2's beeps. Obi-Wan continues... This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight, not as clumsy or random as a blaster, and Luke ignites the lightsaber, waves it around. We hear those wonderful sounds of that laser sword whooshing through the air. Obi-Wan concludes, an elegant weapon for a more civilized age. These lines are, I think, all iconic. Uh, This is the real introduction uh, in our linear real-world time. The introduction uh, to the lightsaber. What is it in this moment that just electrified so many people's imaginations? How does this little scene, these lines sell how cool a lightsaber is? You know, it, this is, a, this is a knight's tale. And so we, we all can enjoy that on a, on just a King Arthur medieval level and, and the fantasy there. But I think it's just everything about it, particularly, if you're hungry for nostalgia and you've always said, uh, you know, quite insightfully, Joseph, that, you know, just nostalgia is baked into Star Wars from the beginning because George was nostalgia, nostalgic for Flash Gordon, serial adventures, all that kind of stuff. It's in there. It's in the DNA of Star Wars. So here you have the character just literally saying just like, ah, the good old days. <laughs> Remember those. And he just adds all, all of the myth into it. Mind you, we've seen a hallway with, I would argue, not a lot of clumsy or random blaster fire, but men dying at the end of these blasters. Uh, pretty, uh, you know, it's vibrant. It's in her face. If you're a kid, I was always scared of that sequence. And Vader didn't rip out uh, the lightsaber like he did just a, you know, a little bit ago in Rogue One. And and uh, it's it's different. So to to look at that, and then here you have Obi Wan just just waxing poetic about the days where. Uh, w- Conflicts were solved face to face with the laser blades. You know, <laughs> it's, 
uh, and and painting uh, this more civilized age. Because again, too, we're already seeing uh, Luke in the bar, Luke in the cantina, the Tuscan Raiders. We don't have a lot of full context of that yet, but you're watching for the first time. You're, you're again, you're scared. I'm talking about comfort. If I'm a kid, I'm comforted in Obi Wan's hut, and not only does he cool, pull out a pull out a cool weapon, but he's telling you. Is, is things were better and this was part of that at all it just it's a really epic moment for this 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 reason and you're right all the lines are, are iconic yeah i you know i think you you hit on a bunch of great ideas and uh, a bunch of notes that play a little lightsaber symphony in this uh this short uh simple moment that i talk about star wars being the cocktail of the new and the old and this scene has so much uh, that is old about it, as you're saying. It, it taps into this, not nostalgia for old uh, Star Wars stories or movies or actors we knew from previous Star Wars films. This taps into this cultural nostalgia. Uh, it, as Lucas said, during you know a time in America in particular where uh, you've had the war, you've had a lot of uh, the Vietnam War, you've had a lot of uh, films where uh, you're getting into sort of these dark realities of... of gritty real world violence and people truly being uh, really uh, uh, damaged and dangerous to society and to themselves and all this kind of brutal let's look at the world as it really is kind of stuff and here is this message blasting into theaters that maybe maybe there is something in the core of us in the core of our stories in our uh, metaphorical fathers that was elegant that was better it taps into the really directly into like uh as you were saying king arthur myth right this is sword in the stone stuff this is that anybody could use this weapon but actually it's been sitting here waiting for you uh to pick it up it has that sense of fate and destiny so if you're projecting yourself into luke it's like this this weapon from this other better age has been waiting for you and then specifically, an elegant weapon for a more civilized age really ties it into uh, stories of nobility uh, from samurai and from knights uh, of the, of old, right? And you touched on it so well, that idea of like, you're not just randomly slaughtering people from afar with a lightsaber. You are right next to them face to face. You are living with your choices. You are being uh, precise with your choices. Even in violence, there's the possibility for uh, elegance and to be civilized. So it taps into all that. It's got all this great anchor of the, of shared mythology. And then at the same time, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's a cool laser sword, which makes unbelievably cool sound. So it's got this huge shock of the new combined with all of that ancient comforting myth. Yeah, and if you're if you're a kid uh, during this era, and look, there's some wonderful, great lightsaber toys you can get your hands on now, or you can go build for a, a, a good top dollar price. But it doesn't matter. All you need to do is put a flashlight in your hand, and you're gonna look at it, and you're gonna think of the Obi Wan speech. You're gonna think of Luke igniting it for the first time. It it's telling that in in this giant franchise um, that's stretched on now through many films, books, and comics. I can't recall anything that is super similar to the let me introduce you to the lightsaber concept uh, or anything that that is better than this scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it, there's just something. I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, this is the moment for all of Star Wars. 
no matter when you watch it. This is, and, and again, you might learn it in Clone Wars. And again, there's the gatherings got stuff, the kyber crystals, all those things we know now, but nothing to me, you know, nothing's coming to mind. Maybe someone else, uh, you know, issue two of the, this comic. I totally get it. But this is the moment that still stands up for all of Star Wars. This is the introduction to lightsabers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think if you are, as I think most watchers can, especially if they're they're young, going along with the journey is you're the young person who who wants adventure. And then this idea that you, there's the possibility of being this noble hero called a Jedi Knight. And this is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. There's just so much power in saying that. Um, just as an example, uh, I have a friend who's a musician that I used to do shows with uh, all the time in uh, Minneapolis, uh, and uh, he had to go in for surgery. And when he woke up from surgery, he was completely disoriented. And he said to his wife, I need it. And she was like, what? <laughs> He's like, my lightsaber. And I think she was aware of Star Wars, but not a fan. She was like, what are you talking about? Why, you know, what do you, what's a, why do you need a lightsaber? And he said, it is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. <laughs> <laughs> and that it's, it's always been a funny story to me but it's always also been an example of how deep yeah. these words and these images uh burrowed into people yeah to uh, we we could probably talk two more hours about just this moment but again think of any time going to the flashlight uh example going to this going to right now i can go to my living room and i've got three lightsabers of, of various uh, quality out there when i pick them up what's in my head as a star wars fan not cool weapon. I'm going to go slash somebody. No adventure, hope the good guys winning, whatever the little base level notion you hold on to that lightsaber is in your hands. And you're like, let's go have some fun adventure and save the galaxy. It's not just hack and slash. That's every time you grab it, that's you're connecting to Luke in this moment. Wow. The universe just changed. Yep. Yep. Well said. Well said. Uh, so Obi-Wan uh, continues from that great moment and has even more great iconic things to say. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic before the dark times, before the Empire. And right on before the Empire, we hear Luke extinguish the blade. We don't actually see it. We just hear that iconic sound uh, right on before the Empire. And there's a real emotion, I think, in Obi-Wan's voice and face here in Al Guinness's uh, performance. What do you feel uh, that Obi-Wan is is feeling in this moment as he's giving this information to Luke? I, it's, it's to me a little bit him realizing this is, even for him, he might know what's coming or have an idea what's coming for him specifically. Do, do I think he feels, well, I'm going to die shortly? I don't know, but there's got to be something telling him this is it big, big time. It stuff is happening. So I think for him, it's, it's not just a, uh, let me think back. It's a, this is why we've got to do this. This is why I have to do it. I've been out here for 19 years and major, major things have been going on at any point I could have gotten involved, but my mission was here. It's the time. It's the time for me to go. And this is why before the empire, that's what I'm connecting to. That's what I knew and experienced. And that's the way it should, should have been. And complications of the Jedi. He mentions that, you know, guardians of peace and justice. He knows what happened. Um, so I think, you know, that that's where it is. I think he, it's, it's almost Obi-Wan's call to action for himself. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think that's great. I think there is just such genuine sadness uh, that the Empire did extinguish uh, the Jedi. The Jedi were flawed, but the Empire and the Sith are, you know, truly evil. And they did, you know, defeat the Jedi. And uh, and I think Obi-Wan obviously feels extremely sad, uh, culpable uh, on some level. And you're right, his mission, I, I don't even think he is thinking, oh, I, yep, I'm going to meet Darth Vader. I'm going to die. Like, but mm-hmm. I think his mission is to pass on. I don't think he's thinking, I need to get back out there. I think he's thinking, my mission is that the Jedi can return, that the Republic can return, that peace and justice can return. And in order for that to happen, I have to hand off that legacy to this uh, young, naive uh, boy. And I think that weight of that moment is hitting him too. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's, I'd love to, that this, this voiceover is used a lot. It was used well in the rogue one kind of teaser marketing. I love too, that they have removed the home of the lightsaber though. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds a little bit more threatening then, right? Before the duck, can you turn it down? But no, this is, <laughs> and that's why I think it's used so well in those other pieces of, of marketing or, or even on a fan edit, you want to pull, put this over, you know, images from the past. It, it, it's, you're not nostalgic, you're not nostalgic for the uh, dark times, right? But you're remembering, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what we're in. And that's what we used to be. And we can do it again. Yeah, powerful when you hear from over for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardian of peace, of justice in the old republic, and then you see a shot of Kit Fisto smiling. That is powerful to me. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about the second half of this amazing Star Wars scene. Force Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Force Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. Hey, Force Center fans, don't forget, Force Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series, encore presentations of Databank Brawl, and special programming all there for you, and more shows on the way. It's Force Center on YouTube. Check it out. Hey, 
And we are back in the comforting hut of Obi-Wan Exposition. Uh, as we left off on the first half of our podcast, uh, Obi-Wan had given Luke his father's blade and had told him about the Jedi Knights and how they were the guardians of peace and justice before the dark times, before the empires, before the empire. Luke has uh, extinguished the blade and he sits down and he asks, how did my father die? And Obi-Wan takes a little beat. Looks like he's bracing or preparing himself. What do you think is happening here, Ken? Do you think he is deciding in the moment? What's going on in that little specific moment uh, where Obi-Wan is is bracing, preparing, <laughs> deciding? Yeah, I think from Luke's side of things, look, he he, you know, this is... I'm sure he's asked this question before, right, of, of Owen and Baru, and maybe now because he knows wait a minute, maybe the information's not true. So it's a big moment for Luke to finally kind of, I'm ready. Give me, give me what I, give me the answer. Um, the shifty, it's shifty eyes for Malagan. <laughs> He's like, mm, mm. I would love to think, and I wouldn't necessarily need to see this on a Kenobi Disney plus series, but I, I, I almost think he, he could have practiced this. Obi-Wan <laughs> could have been talking to rocks going, all right, when the day comes, what am I going to say? And he feels it out in the moment and for, forget the context of, of what year this was made and all that kind of stuff. I just think in the story, I think Obi-Wan wants to say he turned to the dark side and that's the danger. And you're going to go on the, but, 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 nah, but, but he, it's too much. It's too much. Uh, you are giving, you're giving the, the weight of the galaxies on this kid's shoulders. You know that you can't you can't push him forward with that information too soon. So I think that's why in the moment I I take it as I had something planned, but now that I'm here, how's this work? <laughs> uh, I like that you uh, are bringing up Luke's perspective uh, as well. I think that Mark Hamill is consistently great as an actor. I think, and I think this is a you know great delivery of he's he's got this exciting information about the galaxy and about this lightsaber, and has this vulnerability when he asks, "How did my father die?" And, and you're right, I can interpret that as he's asked before, and Owen has just said, "Don't worry about it. Don't talk about it." Or he's said something really ambiguous or something that doesn't ring true or rings hollow to Luke. And it's a real vulnerable moment for him to be like, yeah, I know that weird old hermit, uh, uh, Ben. Uh, I guess he's Obi-Wan. And, but now I'm going to ask him this. Is, well, it's, a big, it's a big ask of Luke. And I think it, it's a sign that Obi-Wan is getting through in his mission to, to I'm going to tell Luke, I'm going to tell you things about your father so you start reflecting on how they affect you and your choices this is a win that he gets Luke to ask uh, to begin with. Yeah. And then I totally agree with your, uh, I think that Obi-Wan has played this out in his mind many, many times. And I enjoy this moment from the, I've got three to 72 options of exactly how to frame this. This is the final, final, final choice. No going back on this. Which way am I going to frame it? I'm going to go with my gut. I think this is the best way to frame it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and and look, we talk about the force and the, all these big giant concepts and mystical things guiding Obi-Wan. I mean, nothing, nothing can replace just being there, finally sitting there on that, uh, that couch. <laughs> you got to tell the story. 
Yeah. Yep, and you were directly asked, and now it's time to answer. So Obi-Wan does answer. He says a young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine before he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. This, Ken, is the big one, right? You already alluded to it a little bit, but how do you feel right now about Obi-Wan's decision? Uh, we know fans, uh, we have some friends who are like, no, it's shifty, it's awful, he's a liar, he's he's not a bad uh, guy, or he is a bad person, he's not a good guy, because he lies to Luke here, and uh, other people who look at it with some more uh, nuance, where are you at right now? I stand by Obi-Wan, I believe in Obi-Wan, I believe every word he says is right, truly, from a certain point of view. Um, I don't, yeah, to get this, I don't want to suddenly take this super, super real world conversations, but until you are a parent delivering uh, bad news uh, to your kid or, you know, which I am not and you are not, but until until you are, I don't know, I, I have a lot of experience firing, terminating the employment of literally hundreds of people. And each one was different. Each story, each conversation was a little different because depending on how they could take it or the information it was giving or just any of that kind of stuff, it's real life to me. And so Obi-Wan chooses this. Is it a lie? I don't think it is. He is giving him the uh, amount of information he can process. You can only process so much. Um, to to uh, I'll I'll take it to dogma Kevin Smith's movie and not make it a full on <laughs> religious conversation, but one of my favorite moments of that is of that film is is Alan Rickman uh, as the archangel talk talking to Linda Fiorentino and saying you know uh, Jesus found out at thirteen and that was it for a while <laughs> had a process <laughs> you know again to take it that way if you don't want to you don't want to that's fine but I, I Obi Wan has to be aware of all that. He has to be aware in this moment. And this, to me, is now a little bit more rehearsed. Was he going to go this direction? I don't know. But now that he's here, it just makes sense. That feels right. Feels right. What else yeah. is he going to say? What else is he going to say? He's yeah. the evil lord working with a Sith lord that's causing all the problems. You know, I, what, what are you going to say? Yeah, that empire that everybody's so worried about, he's in charge of it. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of what you're saying is is so great and to take it to real world uh, things of like what what is fair for a mentor to uh, say. And that can go to some people's points of it's unfair for him to not give him the full truth. That's his responsibility to tell him the full truth and let Luke handle it. And then there's the perspective of I'm going to tell you some of the truth now and then I'm going to tell you some of the truth uh, later because uh, I think that is better for you. So there's no doubt about it that Obi-Wan is making a, a choice uh, of yep. for Luke up to a point. And, and that's where I can say like, yeah, there's some ambiguity of whether or not that's right. Cause he's, he's not just doling out the information. He is framing it and he is choosing to frame it a certain way. Um, and I, I feel many things about this, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but number one, I do really truly believe in my heart of hearts. It is true from Obi-Wan's perspective. Yeah. Um, and I just like Luke questions him on it in Return of the Jedi, I think that Obi-Wan feels his friend Anakin that he loved, his brother, truly was consumed and cannot be uh, brought back. He was murdered by Vader. And the person who's out there 
is biologically Luke's father, but that's not his father. That's not Anakin Skywalker. It's this monster named Darth Vader. And I think that's true to Obi-Wan. Whether or not that's fair to say, I'm going to give you my truth and you should accept that as the truth is uh, uh, definitely a nice, juicy, uh, morally ambiguity that uh, can be discussed there. Um, What I always think about, I think, I think, Two other things that you touched on is the enormity of the truth, right? Because what is the other truth for him to say is, so what happened is your your father was a, a good person, but he, he fell to the dark side because he was uh, afraid your mom was going to die. Uh, I, I can't honestly tell you exactly how your mother did die, uh, but I was actually there. Uh, I held you... <laughs> And you're sorry, not talking about that right now. I held you mm-hmm. in my hands seconds after you were born. I delivered you to uh, Owen and Brew. And I'm really, really sorry, but it is your destiny to respond to the truth of your lineage in some way. The galaxy is going to come for you, and you're going to have to decide whether or not you want to uh, resist e- the evil that your father is now in charge of. Like, that seems like a lot to try to tell this naive kid who doesn't know what a lightsaber is, what a Jedi is, what the force is. Yeah. Look, I think later on Luke runs head first into this knowledge and that's the problem. But I would say, maybe it sounds like I'm defending Obi-Wan too much. I would say that's more on Luke. They, they didn't tell him to go, you know? Right. And I, and I think at the end and Empire Strikes Back, I'm going to, I'm going to Bespin. All right, cool. Hey, it's your dad. That's your dad. You, you wouldn't have, you, you, by, by that point, you're like, well, the, 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 he's got to figure this out himself now. And again, I'm not saying it's perfect and the mistakes weren't made, but going back to this, I, I stand by Obi-Wan. Yeah. And yeah. By- and I, and I being a huge Obi-Wan fan, I think a part of the story is, yeah, he does make a mistake because he believes that Anakin is gone and there is absolutely no hope for him. And as we learn through uh, Luke's insight and Luke's compassion and Luke truly walking the path of a Jedi, that Obi-Wan is wrong about that. Uh, And I think that is powerful, but Obi-Wan is coming from the perspective of Anakin is entirely gone. And I think there's an element there that's really interesting to me as well. Uh, We've been talking a lot about what Obi-Wan's goal is in this scene, which is to introduce the truth of who Anakin was to Luke. And I feel like there's this power in Obi-Wan is trying to give Luke a true picture of his real father, of an admirable, good person to look up to. And he wants him to be who Anakin was and who Anakin should have continued to be. Uh, I think he inadvertently does end up giving, giving Luke two father figures. He gives him a hero father to look up to and this villain to get revenge on uh, that killed his father. And, and the truth is they're one and the same. And I think what Obi-Wan is really trying to do is give him someone to look up to instead of give him someone to get some kind of vengeance on, which I think he kind of uh, accidentally does eventually uh, yeah. because Vader is somebody who Luke looks to, to, you know, make pay for uh, killing his father eventually. Um but I think there is this noble intent, even though I agree with some of the, the flaws of it, this noble intent of like, I need you to know your place in this story. And in order for you to take your first steps in this story, I want you to know my my truth, this part of the truth, 
that your father was a good man to be looked up to, and you can look up and admire who your father was before he fell. In story, just talking about this in story, without this information, without being able to connect it, once he does learn, once he, that, that masked evil creature is your father, does Luke, would Luke have that conversation with Vader in Return of the Jedi on, on, on the platform? Would he try to save him? You know what I mean? Or would he just been like, ah, you're a, you, you are a monster, and, and, he, and he hacks him to death? Does, how much does this factor into Luke's thinking later on? Just not just from Obi-Wan's perspective, but knowing that, yes, this is true, that 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 Anakin did exist. And it's not just something I'm guessing at. It's something that was real to Obi-Wan and real to, to some other people. And I'm holding on to that because I believe in that. You know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? So how much does this it, in a, inadvertently does Obi-Wan help help Luke in, in the throne room in Jedi? Yeah. Yeah, and there's 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 going to be obviously more going on uh, after in, in the scene, and then after it, where Luke eventually says, "I want to uh, become a Jedi like my father. He needs this, and he needs yeah. that idea of who his father is, and that idea is shattered initially in Empire. Like, wait, what? But then he does. You're right. He comes to this of like, well, maybe that version of my father that Obi Wan told me about that I've imagined that I have basically now based my life on i want to become him uh maybe he is real and maybe he is still in there you can trace back to this yeah i really think so yeah well we're not entirely letting obi-wan off the hook it no. is a definitely a morally ambiguous choice but uh i i can see it from obi-wan's point of view is i guess where i come down ultimately i absolutely can all right, we will move on because we could obviously spend the rest of the episode just on that as well. So Obi-Wan continues. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. Luke asks, the Force? <laughs> and the Force theme uh, kicks in. Uh, beautiful. We talk a lot about the nostalgic power of this music because uh, nowadays we're responding to our memories from it in previous films. But what do you think is the inherent power of it? If you're sitting in the theater in 1977... Uh, what's the power of this music? What does it add to this scene or moment? It's the sound of living history. That's the genius of John Williams to me is, is uh, even in some of his other big franchise work, there's a story in the music and it connects with the dialogue. And again, going back to the first moment and maybe it wasn't 77, maybe you saw it in 83, 85, 90, maybe the special editions. And anytime if you see this without, and you don't have all the big Star Wars knowledge. You don't need it in this moment. The music is the secret sauce that George always talks about. And that's what I think. That is what's baked into it. There is there is history in the notes. And it just it sweeps you away because of that. You feel it. You, not just the call to action, but just like there, there's so much there. It's big. It's it's like it's like Luke uh, uh, and, and Ray's dialogue in, in Last Jedi. It's big. So much so much bigger. I'm paraphrasing because I'm so yeah. Yeah, and that's the sound of it. It is that sound. Just like I always say, Yoda's theme is the sound of enlightenment. This is this is the sound of of, uh, of legacy, myth. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. I think just even in the context of this uh, one film, you're right, whenever you see it, if this is the, still the first Star Wars you see and you have nothing else to uh, frame Star Wars for you, this just it makes sense within the film of Luke has been staring off into the uh, twin sons, dreaming of this destiny. We hear this theme, and then hear this theme comes back as if to say, hey, when you were staring off into the twin sons, feeling like you were meant for something, this is what you were meant for. You were a part of the force. You were tied to the force. 
and just the inherent power of the music that to me what it evokes is it's hopeful and it's mournful and it just feels inevitable that there's something about it that just pulls you along of like you got to go where this music is is pulling you to which is you know these big ideas of of destiny that uh, obi-wan is gently trying to tell luke you're gonna get pulled along to somewhere regardless and you need to choose uh, how you're gonna respond yeah Mm. music's good in star wars the music's real good in star wars yeah end of show (laughs) (laughs) end of show it's good that people uh, win awards for the music because it's real good so obi-wan smiles as if to say oh yeah you don't know anything about the force (laughs) (laughs) such a great beat uh then he explains the force is what gives a jedi his power it's an energy field created by all living things it surrounds us and penetrates us it binds the galaxy together luke nods as if he understands do you think luke understands no because i don't necessarily understand still after all these years um and by the way i love obi-wan smiles as, as if to say oh yeah your uncle would never let you know about this let me tell you about the force yeah um yeah, that beat seems like a reset even for Obi-Wan of like, I'm really trying to decide these important questions of how to frame this truth and give it to you in a, in a way that's fair, but you can digest. And oh, yeah, you you know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Luke is uh, Luke is just nodding along. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe as some concept, maybe he's heard it. It would definitely seem not the way he phrases the question, but. Yeah. Yeah. I I just, I loved that nod and it just to me it really connected to Ray's like uh, I think uh stiff on purpose line uh when Luke asks her like what do you know about the force and she's like, it's a power and you lift things like that really connects here to me where it looks like oh cool G- got it and like no you don't. <laughs> you don't got it at all. Yeah. And instead of Obi-Wan kind of gently letting Luke uh figure out all these things Luke in The Last Jedi to Rey when she's in that same kind of same place is like, nope, I'm going to tell you, I'm ripping every Band-Aid off right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is uh, fun to think about all that poetry, uh, in my opinion. What do you think of this original description, definition of the Force? What do you think it it imparts? Is Is it good? Does it make sense? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I go back to this idea that it because it surrounds us and penetrates us, and Obi Wan is not saying us uh, in terms of uh, you know the the, the warrior monks that uh, I used to be part of. Uh, it binds everyone. It, it binds the galaxy. But it, it, to me, it, it frames it as this power that is there that can be tapped into. Uh, it's there for you. Can guide your actions. All those kind of bigger things. Um, as far as being an energy field created by all living things. You know, I I think you argue, argue that is still relatively true. Many chlorians are living things, I guess you could say, if you want to get to that level. But I think overall, going back to some of the stuff you and I have been talking about with Finn and a feeling, mm-hmm. and us over the years losing track of that idea of the Force, which was here in the beginning, and and it's here in a lot of what Yoda's saying in in, in Dagobah. So that's where I go to it. I think it's a simplified version of it's out there. Do you want to access it? You can. All of us can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's great. I think what I really like about this original description is obviously uh, the way the Force is used is a big part of the Star Wars uh, myth, but obviously it is derived from lots of different uh, 
philosophical and religious ideas in the real world, but it's being defined within the context of this uh, weird space fantasy film that is really drawing on uh, earthly uh, myths and uh, beliefs. But I really like that it just gives us a noun. <laughs> it's an energy field. So you got like the real straightforward, but then philosophically, what is that energy field? Why does it matter? And when it, you get into that, it's created by all living things, to your point. It's not, it's created by <laughs> space monks or your yeah. space monks. It's created by all living things, surrounds us, penetrates us, binds the galaxy together. That's all this great inclusive language that is just saying it is the, it's the physical manifestation of the truth that we're all connected, that even though we get caught up in uh, machinery and rigidity, the truth of what we are is that uh, our, our power comes from being organic and intuitive and all connected. And that mm. I feel like it gets all of that across while also just giving you a noun. <laughs> it's yeah. an energy field. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at this point, R2 gets very insistent. Uh, according to the subtitle on Disney+, Plus, he says, beep, blip, blip, beep. And mm. Obi-Wan gets up and says, now let's see if we can't figure out what you are, my little friend. He pats R2 on the head and adds, and where you come from. What's your take at this point on the R2 and Obi-Wan relationship? I think now just Obi-Wan is just poking at him. He's really poking <laughs> the bear, or in this case, the, the R2. Uh, I think uh, beep, blip, bleep, bip. A beep is like great force is great. I can tell you it's great. I, w things are happening. All right, you know you've made time an ally of the empire. He'll, he'll around, <laughs> so yeah, I think there's a little bit of uh, like cool. Don't forget about me and why we're here. Yep, I have the whole reason this is happening is I have a message for you. Come on, Obi Wan. Uh, yeah, I I think it's hard uh, to take it in modern context is anything but a little bit of obi-wan messing with him at least you can take it any way you want that's the way that i like to take it uh, there's also a little bit of like uh, i wonder nobody will ever wipe this damn droid's memory <laughs> from obi-wan going how much is still in here from this yeah. guy uh yeah so very fun little moment there uh luke says i saw a part of a message obi-wan interjects i seem to have found it great little moment that just i think mm -hmm. reinforces i am the confident mentor who's very experienced in the world uh, and then we get Leia's full message, which I'm just going to go ahead and read, Ken. Mm -hmm. General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. Uh, Leia's theme kicks in and plays under the message. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack, and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the survival of the Rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Uh... So I'd like to take a moment and sort of pause on what all is going on between Obi-Wan and Luke in this scene and talk about Leia. We got to see her, you know, begin and end to uh, record this uh, earlier in the film. Uh, we heard bits and pieces of it in uh, Luke's garage. But this is the full speech. What do you think Leia was thinking and feeling when she recorded this vital message? Well, I think uh, obviously, you know, we we know the, the 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 big picture of what's going on. I think this is 
there, this, it's so admirable to me that Leia has speaks with such, such calmness and grace under fire. Uh, and, and that's who she is as a character, particularly at this point, uh, learning from her father. It isn't a, a panicked, uh, Hey, uh, being aborted, do this. It is, it is a regal message. It is a clear message as best she knows. Uh, and, and, um, you know, she doesn't know the big picture, obviously in terms of who she is and who Luke is and all that guy doesn't even know Luke exists. Um, but that's what I did. And that, that tracks for Leia all through everything, everything, general Leia, princess Leia, Leia, uh, all through it just, um, calm, uh, stress is there, stress is present, but she's going to communicate what she needs. And, uh, and that's what makes it so effective. And it's, uh, and that's what we talked about recently about some of the other versions I've seen Carrie Fisher do in the tribute video for her at Star Wars Celebration 2017. They're more like emotional versions and, and they work for us as fans now and with the loss of Carrie. But in this moment, Princess Leia or of, uh, Alderaan is just like, Hey, the war is on and I've got a mission let's complete it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all really well said. I like that this has, uh, it's so appropriate for Leia. There's this mixture of hope and fear, or if mm-hmm. not fear, concern of like, there's definitely a problem. There is still hope. And I really need you to do something about this problem. And just really listening to the whole speech and thinking about it from Leia's perspective is right. so, uh, fascinating to reframe especially with the larger text that we have now that we know that she's been doing things for the rebellion that she has is well trained in diplomacy and this is a diplomatic mission uh we don't know for sure exactly what communications there have been between bale and obi-wan it feels to me like there's got to be this concern that bale's like i'm gonna reach out to him i honestly don't know if he's just gonna say yes and come running so this she's going there on a diplomatic mission to convince this Jedi that now is the time we really need you to reemerge all other risks be damned because now is the time uh so she's on that message a mission and then we know from Rogue One now gets you know uh, mixed up in this uh, suddenly violent conflict where everything suddenly escalates and now she's being uh, pursued and uh, boarded by the Empire and by Vader himself and it is escalating 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 away from a, a pretty uh, urgent diplomatic mission to a really urgent I've got the plans uh, mm-hmm. and, and you get them to safety or it's over um, mission and looking at it from that perspective it's just it, to say the the grace under fire grace under pressure that you said is so great but like this actual speech is just it's kind of a persuasive speech 101 mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that uh, sh- she starts with the emotional connection the emotional appeal specifically to obi-wan of remember when you served my father during this other you know uh, right. perhaps noble campaign uh, he's begging you to help here are the stakes. I can't even get there to ask you for this. This is our most desperate hour. So she's laying out the stakes and then she closes with another emotional appeal directly to Obi-Wan. Like, this is about you. This is why it matters. And in closing, remember, this is all on you. (laughs) It's just like, that's great speech giving. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Vote for for Leia. Vote Vote for for Leia. (laughs) <laughs> a vote for Leia is a vote for hope and I think uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi your only hope ends up having such resonance and power especially when Lucas uh, changes the the subtitle of the film to 
A New Hope uh, being Luke and possibly Leia up to one's interpretation. Uh, any other thoughts on this before we move on? No, other than, man, yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad R2 uh, kept this so he could use it uh, on Luke a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> Last Jedi. So uh, during this speech, we get some reaction shots uh, of Obi-Wan and Luke. What do you think is going through uh, Luke and Obi-Wan's minds as they're watching this? I think this is, uh, you know, the way he even reacts to it, it's just kind of like there's a little bit of like, yep, yep, okay, all signs have pointed to this, and now we know, and it's maybe even worse than we thought. Uh, I, I, I like that. For Luke, I just think, you know, he's obviously clearly mesmerized with this princess. He'll deal with that a little bit later on. Uh, but um, now it's confirmation that even going back to him, looking up in the deleted scenes, looking in the sky and seeing something out there. And uh, don't worry about that, uh, kid. It's it's nothing. And, and his uncle wants to keep him and the twin sons and he's staring out. This is now he's like, wow, there is a big picture. There is definitely, uh, my father might not be who I was told. His death's in question. I've got this weapon that was his. It's about a different age. And now this princess is in trouble and this is all in front of me now. Yeah, yeah. I think there is that sense of uh, curiosity and engagement and like this this peek into this exciting world. And, you know, maybe, maybe we can imagine that there's some connection, uh, you know, that, that he senses something on a deep level. Uh, but I love that the shot of Obi-Wan where he kind of leans uh, with eyes wide. And I think there is shock at the magnitude, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is where things really change for Obi-Wan because, yeah, uh, maybe he senses something in the force. Uh, Luke comes to him. He is kind of laying the groundwork of letting Luke have the lightsaber, letting Luke know a little bit about who his father really was, about what the galaxy really was before uh, these really dark times. But now oh, there's an actual mission. There's an adventure. The stakes are high. And now from our modern perspective, that's his sister. This is not the will of the force gently saying now is the time. This is the will of the force screaming its head off. Yeah. Yeah. The call is here. Yep, exactly. Uh, so Obi-Wan leans back, uh, plays with his beard and says, you must learn the ways of the force if you're to come with me to Alderaan. Uh, and this is, of course, the, as we are talking about, the mentor just directly asking the hero to start their journey. Um, I think this is uh, Obi-Wan shifting from, I'm inviting you to ask questions about your father, I'm giving you an information about your father, to I'm now being more proactive, uh, you should come with me <laughs> right now. Can putting yourself in Luke's shoes, would you just accept right away? Uh, no, absolutely, absolutely not. Uh, this is uh, probably, as, as we talk here in the next few beats, this is probably my real, real, honest, real-world connection to Luke and, and, and New Hope, specifically this film. Uh, the twin sons are really important to the story, really important to Lucas being able to pull in all generations of, of youth into his myth. Uh, and it's a, a connection for me, uh, growing up in a small town. I want to be part of a bigger world. All that's there. But this stuff with Luke is probably where I'm like, feel that, man, I'm right there with you. So mm-hmm. I would turn away a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I really like uh, that he doesn't immediately go, like, yeah, because he's this is everything. This is everything he's been dreaming of and it's being handed to him. But then it is getting a little like, yeah, no, I just learned a lot about my father. I've got his weapon. And now uh, uh, that, that moment where like, 
oh, uh, maybe he is a weird old hermit talking to me about energy fields that are inside my body and outside yeah. and he wants me to go somewhere. What? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's one of these these beats that gives Star Wars such great emotional realism of that. Yeah, most of us would go, wait, what? No. Uh, so Luke does indeed uh, say, wait, what? No, he rejects the hero's call and says, Aldron, I'm not going to Aldron. I've got to get, get home. It's late. I'm in for it as it is. And Obi-Wan says, I need your help, Luke. She needs your help. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Do you think Obi-Wan is being truthful here? Oh, yeah. Just age. I mean, gosh, he's aged a lot in 19 years. He's feeling it even on that level, right? But also, I think um, getting told for this is sort of the the cover for what you, you mentioned earlier. Of This is the passing of of the torch and, and the saber, as it were. And this has always been the plan. This is... This is why um, he would pull Luke in regardless. Regardless if Leia had landed in his front yard and the blockade runner got there and he she gave the speech, um, he, he would go, absolutely, it's time to go get Luke because this is his fight, it's their fight. And that's why I've been out here for 19 years. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think a lot of this is about that uh, he believes the galaxy is going to show up on Luke's doorstep regardless, and he needs Luke to be prepared, and that has been his mission. But I think also for himself, that I'm getting too old for this, is not just physical. The twin sons have beat him down, and he's aged a lot, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there's something here that really connects to me of Luke in The Last Jedi too. of... I understand there's more fight to be had, but I've already had my fight and my fighting in the Clone Wars and the way I trained Anakin, maybe that contributed to this. And I understand that people need to step up and act and they need to continue the fight, but I don't think it's really my fight. I don't think that's how I can help. I think I can help by setting other people up on their journey. And, and I think that ties into other lines he says in uh, you know, a new hope of, you know, the, you, you can't win, but they're all alternatives to fighting. And, you know, my destiny lies along a different path. It's really the like, yeah, no, I, uh, I had my day in the wars and I will help, but I'll help by getting you ready. And I think there's that great rhythm with uh, Luke in The Last Jedi of like, yeah, somebody needs to stand up to the First Order maybe, but not me. I've already had that battle and it's not my place anymore. And it's every generation's lessons to learn. I think, Joseph, I've reached the perfect time to read the full quote from George Lucas. Nice. <laughs> so Paul Duncan's getting this great conversation going with him. And, and the Star Wars Archives book, it's it's a big book. I know they've just re released a smaller version of it. Highly recommend it. You could just poke through it for days. Um, he says uh, about Obi-Wan, uh, so um, uh, George says he, he Obi-Wan, knows this is the time. Paul Duncan says Obi-Wan knows more than he lets on. George says... Again, this is a conversation after all the prequels. This is later on. George Lucas says he knows that eventually Darth Vader is going to come looking for them. He knows the whole thing is going to blow up into a big war. He knows a confrontation is brewing between Luke and his father. Ben hopes Luke will either save his father or kill him because whatever extra power Luke's got in his lineage, he is the one person that can probably fight his father and win. Ben's going to be an old man, so that's why the Jedi are concerned, ultimately, that he get baby Luke away to safety. Eventually, Ben would train Luke at the secret base, which would be the next movie. That's what the Jedi expected to happen, and that uh, neither uh, Luke nor Ben would leave before the training was done. That's how it all fits together. Obi-Wan can sense what's going to happen. That's why he asks Luke to come away with him before it does. So I think that's George's take on a lot of what you're talking about here. 
Yeah, that's so great. That's really, really great to hear because I, I, I've thought about that a lot. And, you know, we've talked about and we're just talking about that idea of, uh, yeah, uh, maybe Obi-Wan is pressuring Luke here, but it's because this is going to come to his doorstep one way or another. And it's really awesome to hear uh, Lucas uh, frame it that way. Uh, that it's going to come to him. And I think that really connects to some of uh, the storytelling that we saw of Obi-Wan in Rebels uh, mm-hmm. with, obviously, Filoni, uh, Lucas's apprentice's uh, hand involved heavily in that, that of, of seeing Luke as the chosen one of this kind of idea is why it's not like, ah, let's find Cal Kestis, let's find Ezra, mm-hmm. let's get a super Jedi team to kick Darth Vader's ass because it is both, who, who is a match in the Force for him but also who is destined to face this, who, who might uh, have a connection that is beyond, you know, who can win in a fight. Uh, and that's really cool to hear Lucas frame it that way as well. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And again, I love that that is, that is post prequels. So that is George saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me, let me, let, I'll tell you how it all fits together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for finding that and enriches our conversation at done. Mm. Uh, so it's a well. We're heading toward the end of the scene. We got a few more beats that I'd like to touch on. Uh, so Luke and Obi Wan exchange glances. Luke is already up on his feet, and Luke says, "I can't get involved. I've got work to do. It's not that I like the Empire. I hate it, but there's nothing I can do about it right now. It's all such a long way from here." Obi Wan counters, "That's your uncle talking." Just that little phrase: uh, destiny of who has to face their father or not, truth of who your father is, all that. Uh, is there, but this is something different that Luke's philosophy from his uncle, it's all far away. There's nothing I can do about it. And Obi-Wan really goes, that's BS from your BS uncle. What is the uh, importance of that exchange to the big themes of Star Wars to you? I, I, so follow me on this path. It is this, this definitely connects with a lot of the stuff in last Jedi stuff in rogue one. Uh, a lot of that don't, uh, if you don't look up, you don't, uh, you don't see the flags of the empire over your city, that type of stuff uh, and important stuff, the big stuff, like you, like you said, but how, and, and oh, also the, the Jason Fry's excellent uh, prologue in the last Jedi novelization is it's all this, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the force going back to this moment and going, what if you just, what if you just left? What if you just left the hut and nothing, nothing that happened, you know, again, but here's how I think it works really well. And part of uh, what George was trying to do just in telling the story and making this movie, that's a big thing. That's a big thing that could be overwhelming as a human to connect with, even uh, looking at the uh, real world stuff right now or everything where you're just like, ah, too much, but how it connects is it, I connected this on this level of, I want this thing to happen in my career. I, 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 I can't go to the details, but I got something going on right now where I'm like, oh, this is kind of something I've always wanted. And I've told them no three times because why? I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. I got this to do. I can't. And so I hear Luke say this, I start getting pulled in on a very base level, <laughs> human level, which then leaves you more open to really absorbing the bigger life lessons and how you can apply it into all areas and areas that don't just involve you. I think that's what George does so well. That's why the kid looking at the twin sons is Luke, uh, is Lucas and Modesto. It's me in Arroyo Grande, California. It's, it's you out on the frozen tundra. (laughs) It's all of us. It's all of us. And we connect on that base level. And then you start to learn more of what star Wars has for you. And I think that's part of the genius of it. And that's why I love, I, and watch, but particularly watching, rewatching the scene this weekend, this moment, I'm like, this is one of the more important Luke moments for me because it 
really makes me understand him, but then also see and learn where he went from here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's all great stuff. I I think that there is this uh, straightforward element that's really powerful of, you know, we all choose whether or not to stand up and make a difference or kind of make excuses why we can't. Uh, And I think that uh, ties to a lot of the other examples in Star Wars that you're talking about. But I feel like there's there's to me, there's this uh, even slightly uh, deeper spin on it uh, that you're kind of alluding to with career stuff, because this this relates to interpreting Star Wars. This relates to yeah, doing doing scary things in careers or relationships or activism or in any number of things, right? And what what the power of it to me is it it's kind of about power. Here, Obi Wan knows uh, Luke happens to be particularly powerful, uh, and Luke is removing his own power. Luke is saying. I can't get involved. There's nothing I can do about it. It's a long way. Luke is, you know, removing his own power. And mm. this is something that happens uh, repeatedly in Star Wars. Uh, in this movie, Han Solo does this exact thing later of like, yeah. ah, I don't like the Empire, but that's suicide. I'm not going to do that. And he removes his own power to make a difference. And I think it's, this is a moment where Obi-Wan is talking to this kid of destiny who's got this great power but i think there are so many moments in star wars that makes that power about everybody that we all do have some amount of power and there's so much pressure in our lives to remove it from ourselves and to just have you know your real uncle your imaginary uncle the uncle that lives on all of our shoulders going you can't it's far away or even if you tried you wouldn't make a difference because you don't have any power and it speaks to that kind of a, a ability to, to self-defeat ourselves. Mm-hmm. In all, in all ways, shapes and forms. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, really, really love that scene and, and think of Obi-Wan's that's your uncle talking uh, a lot yeah. and try to try to uh, find out uh, moments in my life where my, my, my inner uncle Owen is going, eh. Oh yeah. And, and the way you get us to, that's your uncle. Talking. Those are some of the fights we want to see in the Kenobi series. <laughs> Just yeah, hours of walking and talking through Moss Eisley, them arguing. Yeah, yeah. My dinner with Owen. My dinner with Owen. I'd I'll be all there for that. Yeah. Uh, so Luke continues. Oh boy, my uncle. How am I ever going to explain this? Uh, and Obi Wan pushes a little harder. Learn about the Force, Luke. Luke turns away. He pauses. His father's lightsaber in his hand. And then he turns back and says, "Look, I can take you as far as Anchorhead. You can get a transport there to Moss Eisley or wherever you're going." And Obi Wan responds. You must do what you feel is right, of course. And we wipe to a Star Destroyer. Uh, the way all great things end, a wipe to a Star Destroyer. So this final beat here and that energetic end to this scene, why do you think Luke offers this compromise of kind of taking him halfway? And, uh, and why is Obi-Wan willing to accept that? Why does he leave it at you must do what you feel is right, of course? I feel Obi-Wan feels bigger things are at play, but again, this has to be his choice. This destiny is, is not just a, a one, you know, a, a yes. It's not, it's not always just, yep, destiny is going to make you do this. It has to be his choice. Do I think Obi-Wan feels in the next, uh, next bit of time, Owen and Baru are going to be wiped out and Luke's going to see it? No, I I, I don't, it, you know, quite frankly, you know, Obi-Wan yells, wait, Luke, no, like what you yell, don't go back. Don't it's see. Too dangerous. Yeah. Too dangerous. Um, but he knows he's, he's playing it right. You must do what you feel is, is right. Of course, that that's something that really works in, in, in regular life too, my friends. And, um, 
It's the old uh, lead a horse to water, right? But it's a little just more epic, more mythic. Uh, as far as Luke, so yeah, I, I think Obi-Wan's smart enough to realize I don't think this is the end of our conversation. And I'm, I'm <laughs> not happen. And you have to allow for people to grow. You have to allow for that. Yeah. Um, that's important. But as far as Luke, I, I think there's a little bit of guilt. I think there's a little bit of like, oh man, there definitely seems like there's some problems and it looks like Obi-Wan's got to do something. I can at least give him a ride. There's also a little bit of like, maybe he realizes this is the call, but it's very realistic. I got to go, you know, pack my bags and go. Like, what do I do? <laughs> like, were they just going to go straight from here? I'd be like, cool. I need to go get a backpack. Uh, I'll <laughs> my computer on. Um, but I think, uh, so there's a little bit of not guilt, but just Luke, Luke's a good hearted person, right? He, he truly is. He's a good boy. That yeah. Luke Skywalker. So I think this is part of that as well. He knows I might walk away from this, but I know Obi-Wan can't walk away from that girl in the hologram I just saw. So I'll help him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's Luke feeling the pull, right? He wanted mm -hmm. uh, this adventure. He got a little taste of it. Now he's uh, turning away from it because of the, the voice of his uncle. Just stay here on the farm. Don't get involved. You can't get involved. You shouldn't be involved. Uh, and he is feeling the pull like, you know, and he knows probably in his heart of hearts that, yeah, I, I kind of want to help that, uh, that girl in the, in the video in in the hologram but uh, but all this real world stuff and i think uh i think obi-wan is being you know kind of like qui-gon he's only gonna push so hard <laughs> mm -hmm. but he's doing that mentor thing of like i'm gonna open the door i'm gonna suggest lots of great reasons why you should walk through but eventually you have to walk through and alec guinness's delivery and the turn of phrase of you must do what you feel is right of course that is up there to me with the mentor or uh, parental classics. Like I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Just like uh, weaponized wisdom, right? Of mm -hmm. you must do what you feel is right. Of course. Does any mentor ever say that when they think you are already doing the right thing? <laughs> right. 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 No. So it's great. It's, uh, is it manipulation or is it great education from a mentor? Uh, yeah. We end on another beat of Obi-Wan going, you must do what you feel is right, of course. And yeah. by my uh, tone, of course, what you're doing right now is not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have to wonder if Luke had said, all right, let's go. If, if Obi-Wan would have stopped. So, well, hold on. You must, you must do what you feel is right. You sure? You know, I think then he would have pulled out the old always on the move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He really is like his father. Uh, so that is the scene, but I want to wrap up with some big picture questions. Uh, in general, uh, exposition scenes uh, can be deadly to a story's pacing or to the audience's patience. Uh, why does this scene work so well, even though there is a lot of just here's information about what a lightsaber is, how the force works, on and on? Why does it work so well? Uh, look, I think I think it's important to give George Lucas credit for being really really solid writer in this scene and in, in this movie. And, and, and he, you know, a filmmaker, uh, you know, an auteur, a, a storyteller, not the best with actors. Some of his dialogues clunky. And, and there's, there's a lot of examples of that. And I get those, those parts of the conversation. And there was a lot of hands on this. And we always said it, 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 you know, Alec Guinness makes this scene. Hamill's reactions, his choice as an actor, make the scene. The editing much talked about with new hope makes the movie as well. So it's a lot going on here. But give George Lucas some credit for making all of this just work. It is hard. 
Um, I was coming up, uh, going to screenwriting uh, classes and everything in the nineties. And when, um, Austin Powers hit and, and, uh, Michael York's, uh, character Basil Exposition, I just thought that was the greatest, most cleverest thing in the world. Cause <laughs> yes, you always have to learn to sneak in the exposition and it's really hard at times. It can be clunky. Um, that's what sank the first game of Thrones pilot. They didn't have enough or what was there was too much. And they had to really work it around on, on the, on the rework of the pilot. So this is a, a scene because I think George did such a good job economical with his moments. The lines don't give you all the answers. They give you the feeling. Let's not discount John Williams music in this scene, <laughs> but all of that there. Uh, and then Alec Guinness just knows how to play it. The veteran actor going, yep, that's right. I'm the wizard. I'm Gandalf. I've got to, this is the hero's call. Got it. Let me deliver it. There's a lot there. Uh, and his choices, obviously, we, we keep talking about that. So anyways, all that, it's a big, it's a big salad of success. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard to pull this off. Yeah, no, exposition is hard. And I think that's now become one of those kind of things that uh, certainly if you're a writer, but even if you're not, even if you're just a, a, a fan of storytelling, you know, some of these terms that used to be more technical are, are well known. I feel like four year olds are like exposition was too much. Like mm -hmm. uh, it's one of those things that's out there that exposition is a, not a great thing and to be avoided. And I think this scene to me, I take two lessons about exposition from it is it's incredible exposition is great when it's meaningful to the characters and not just the audience so this scene has a bunch of information that the audience needs to know to understand the mythos of star wars but every beat is also meaningful to the characters it is obi-wan sharing information that luke doesn't know so it's not they're not in that trap of the two characters know something, but now the audience has to. Luke doesn't know this stuff, and he needs to. But then uh, it's meaningful to Obi-Wan because he is feeling the truth of it. It's not just, yeah, no, I'm giving you a, a history lesson. He is personally affected by that history because of the way Alec Guinness uh, chooses to play it. Uh, the information is all making Luke uh, curious, and he is you know, literally leaning forward it's causing him to fall into obi-wan's uh, trap and <laughs> uh, and ask more questions so it's meaningful to the characters and then the second big lesson to me about exposition is i think we are sometimes overly critical of it of mm -hmm. exposition has become a lot of times bad exposition or difficult exposition is technical stuff um you got to ramble off how these computers connected or it's exposition because you don't want an audience to yell at you because you, you need to know why they didn't turn left. So you throw out the explanations why they didn't turn left. So nobody ever yells at you and goes, well, why didn't they turn left? Uh, but exposition is just information and information can be great when it's amazing, intriguing information. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when the information is there used to be warrior monks who fought with laser swords and they could control an energy field that floats around all living things. That's damn interesting. And there's nothing wrong with taking time to give us information if it's interesting information. The trap is when it's not interesting, when it's just there out of sort of narrative necessity, you know? Yeah, I mean, you, you you want world building, you want lore. I hear people screaming to the rooftops for that. This this is that stuff. This is the building it. This is the connection. This is the tip of the iceberg stuff to more. And you're right. I think uh, as we get into a discussion about film discussion, sometimes I think there's 
we're all aware of this thing going, going to the Austin Powers thing. That was the first time I recall just, it was an out and out joke, right? Uh, we got to deliver these lines and it was funny and I like it, but like, you know, all of a sudden you become aware of it. We are now so aware of everything that goes to the, uh, behind the scenes, making the movies that people, I'll say this in general terms, uh, general, cause I don't want to upset anyone who's, who's, you know, feels some this way about some points, but you will say, Oh, the director problem. That's why that didn't work. And that might be true and it might not be true. It doesn't matter. You're, you're going to wedge it in there. So some of the composition, <laughs> there are bad exhibition, ex, ex, uh, exposition scenes. Um, even the prequels have some of that, as we know. So anyways, to your point, I don't know. You got me thinking about that. It's just sometimes I think uh, it is, we're unfair because we think we need to be unfair about it. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's just, it's just exciting to remember that, you know, as you say so well, world building and lore, sometimes that's great exposition because it has a power in and of itself and even better when it it can be meaningful to the characters, then it's a a scene as well. And on that note, uh, you and I talked a lot about what we think this scene means, where Obi-Wan and Luke are coming from you. But if you needed to pull back and just say, ultimately, emotionally, uh, yeah, there's a lot of information, but what is this scene about? I think it is is Obi-Wan knowing that it's his call to action again. This is his the culmination of his journey, uh, his mission. And is he ready to face it? Um, yeah. Uh, and and he's he's ready for it. That's where I think a little bit of the nostalgia plays that's at stake. And and for Luke, it's it's the it's the groundwork for all the changes in the in the adventure and journey that's gonna become. He's just not quite ready. It's big, it's too big, and he's gotta go. Um it's got to go process and, and he's going to be pushed into it real, sh- real shortly, real quickly after this. But I think a lot of it is Obi-Wan in this scene for me. It's a lot of his journey. My time in this hut is done. Uh, wow. Yeah. Tion Madon. Uh, if you have warriors, now is the time. Now is my time. It's time to go. Yeah. I, I love the take that this scene is about Obi-Wan going 19 years of this damn place. Okay. <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, but yeah, call call to action for both of them is a mm. great way to frame it. And for me, what I think about it, it being about emotionally is Obi-Wan accepts, as you say, his call to action that he needs to connect Luke to his past because Luke needs to kind of understand his own past in order to move him toward his future. Uh, there's this great understanding that the fu- that the past and the future are intertwined. And this is really Obi-Wan responding to his call by saying, uh, Luke, learn a little bit about your past so you can uh, have what you need to move forward. Luke is uh, hearing the call. And at this moment, he is avoiding his destiny. He is being told quite clearly, there's a big world out there. You have a part in it. And Luke's response is, yeah, I'll dip my toe in maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Call me, maybe. Call me, maybe. Great scene. Great scene. All right, Ken, here's our uh, my final question. It's a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek. It's having some fun with it. We talk about all the great depth of Star Wars, and we also like to have fun and some whimsy. So, you know, toward the end of this meaningful scene, Luke appears to be getting up, heading to the door, but he can't be leaving because 3PO is still powered down. Where does Luke think he's going? He's going nowhere. And this is a thing Luke does. Look at it. He always, he's always getting up to go out. Like, I need to go think about this. I'm going to go stare at the suns. Oh. <laughs> uh, or, yeah, that's what you said when Biggs and Tanks left. This is what we love about Luke and, and poke fun about Luke. I think he's, he 
Tension's rising. He knows. I think he feels if he stays in there one more second, he'll follow Obi-Wan. And he needs oh, to kind of go, all right, I, I need to get out of this situation. And I'm going to go uh, pack the, uh, uh, the the sand speeder. I'm going to pack it up with a, uh, put some tools back on uh, and, and we'll think about it. I like that. I like that very much. Like, I can't listen to any more. I'm going to get pulled into some damn fool idealistic crusade. So mm-hmm. instead, uh, I'll go uh, desand the land speeder engine. Yeah. <laughs> before I come back to power up 3PO and R2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That or Obi-Wan's hut does have a bathroom. I had to throw that out there because that's always, always the possibility as well. Uh, but that is our big look at Obi-Wan's hut of exposition. Ken, do you want to uh, tell people where they can find us? Yes, sir. If you want to uh, follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Force Center Pod. Use the hashtag Force Center to join the conversation. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. We are on Instagram and YouTube as well. Podcasts available in a lot of different spots. Just search and uh, find us there. If we're not there yet, we're trying to get there. Merch is available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. Patreon.com slash Force Center is where you can support us. We appreciate the support. But as always, a good way to support us is just tell a friend about Force Center. Retweet, like, subscribe, uh, rate and review. All those good things go a long way. You can follow me at Kednapsaw. Go to the events tab there and you can see information on the live Riley's Cantina. Mark Riley from uh, Schmodown Collider Days. Uh, he is uh, hosting a live version of his show, Riley's Cantina. A fun hour of Star Wars talk, games, comedy, and I'll be there with him. And special appearance by Joseph Scrimshaw. You've heard of him. Four Center fans, come support more guests. Uh, going to be uh, locked in. Uh, you can get tickets. Uh, just again, go to my website into the events tab and it'll take you to the spot. Uh, you can follow me at Cadnapsock2 for live updates on all the things I'm doing. Joseph? Uh, that is all great. I'm excited to specially appear on Riley's Cantina. Uh, you can follow me Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can go to my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for links to my other podcast, uh, Obsessed, and comedy albums and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, you, this Sunday, you can also check out Midnight Adult Swim, the weird fantasy comedy show I'm a writer for, Tigtone. The episode I scripted this season is going to be on at midnight, so check that out. I'm also encouraging people to check out the website voteforward.org. It's a place where you can sign up to write letters to encourage people to use their power and vote. If you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to voteforward.org. They spell it out, vote, F-W-D dot O-R-G. So that is it for myself for Ken, for Obi-Wan, for Luke, for Powered Down 3PO, and for whatever it is that R2 might be ambiguously beeping, this has been Force Center. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? 
Go stream something new on Hulu.